0: Um, Anyway, I want to start out this morning with a story I ran across. It's from Kierkegaard. Uh, It's about a a king who falls in love with a peasant maiden, and it goes like this. The king ended up facing a dilemma. Uh, How could could I, he thinks, how could I tell this maiden that I love her? And assuming that I can communicate my affection, how would I know for sure that she loves me in return? The very fact that he was a king, that he's rich, that he's well-known, that he's powerful, was sort of a barrier to real love. And loves acknowledgement. In a way, his power and position kept him at a distance and made a loving relationship almost impossible. And so the king started thinking about and, and kind of pondering different possible approaches. He's like, well, I could, I guess I, I could show up to her house. I could lead an escort of knights and soldiers to the door of this maiden's humble cottage. And I could demand on the authority of the king that she marry me. <laughs> He's like, well, I could do that, but that would sort of defeat the purpose, right? She would have to obey because I'm the king, but that wouldn't do, he thought, because I want somebody love, that, that will share life with me, somebody that will love me not out of duty, not as a slave, but somebody that I can have a, relation, a loving relationship with. So that won't do. So then the king considered other approaches. He said, well, I could woo her with displays of wealth and with lavish gifts. I could sort of appeal to her femininity, and I could shower her with jewelry and beautiful clothes and on and on. And he said, well, I don't, I don't know if that will work either. She might respond like those who fawn over celebrities for for reasons of wealth or fame or glamour or social status. He said it wouldn't establish, again, if she really loved me in return. He doesn't want a, a love that's just bought with material possessions. He wanted to know that she loved him for himself, not just for his wealth or his power or his influence. So what is the king to do? He faced a royal dilemma. How to find a way to genuinely win the maiden's love without overwhelming her self-respect or overriding her freedom of choice. Somehow, the king thought, I have to become the maiden's equal in terms of social status. And so he decided that that was the plan. He would renounce his privileged status and become a poor man himself. He would live in her village as a commoner, and there he would seek to woo her personally. So the king became poor. He rejected royal power. He rejected the aristocratic culture with the hopes of winning her affection. He dressed in working clothes and approached her just as an ordinary man. Out of love for her, he gave up his wealth, his privilege, his home. The king gave up pretty much everything to pursue the one that his heart loved. Now, think about this. The stakes were sky high. Suppose she didn't like him, right? I mean, he gave up. Suppose she wasn't impressed. Suppose she might prefer to have a king as a suitor instead of a poor man. Suppose that she might reject a poor suitor because, or be offended by his rags and lowly status. Still, the king took the risk, gave up virtually everything for the one that he loved. He sacrificed title, status, wealth his comfort, his lifestyle for a chance, just a chance to be with the one that his heart loved. Kierkegaard ends by saying this. He was willing to take off his kingly robes and put on rags to be with her. Well, why do I share that story? Because this is Christmas, isn't it? This, this, is, this is what the central message of Christmas is really all about in a sense. That's what happened that first Christmas some 2,000 years ago. God chose to take off his kingly robes and to put on rags, to come and to try and win and woo those that he loved. He was willing to give up his status, his comfort, his lifestyle, even his life itself, to pursue you and to pursue me. He cares about you, he cares about me just that much. This is a, a, a paraphrase. It's called the message, but a, a translation of Philippians 2:5 through 8. Listen to this. It's, it's exactly what happened. It says he, Jesus, had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that a crucifixion. Now, just imagine that for a moment. God willing to give up the privileges of being God and instead taking on the status of a servant or a slave, not claiming any special privileges, even though he was God who had come to earth, living a selfless, obedient life, and even being willing to die a selfless, obedient death. Why? Because he loves you that much because he loves us that much. He wants a relationship with us just that much. It, he knew when he, was, when he chose to come, he knew he was not stepping into a fairy tale love story. He came into the world that, that he created knowing full will, full well, that it was going to cost him his life, that he was going to have to pay the penalty for our sins, for our rebellion against God so that we could be brought back home. That's just how much he cares about you and me. Well, friends, we are in the season of known as Advent, right? It's a time typically when the church around the world uh, kind of looks back first and foremost and, and remembers the coming of the king, right? The, the first time when, when God threw off his kingly robes, took on rags, and stepped into our world, born in a barn or a cave or something, placed in a manger, born in the human form as a baby God. In a bod, right? Got a bod, right? That's, that's, the, that's the mind blowing. God choosing to come down as a baby. It's, mind, it's, it's mind-numbing, isn't it? It's jaw-dropping. It's incredible. But it's the time that the church looks back and we worship and remember the great love of God that he would come down for us like that. But it's also a time historically, like for the church, right, where we look at, 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 the, at that God and say, man, not only was he present there, but he's present in the here and now. Is my heart wide open to receive the king afresh today? Am I living under the, and submitted to and in relationship with that king here and now? And it's a time when, again, Advent is a time when we look ahead and say, boy, in the exact same way that Christ came the first time and he came in a way that people did not expect and in a way that people did not recognize in a people to a people that were not ready. We remember that he's coming back. Jesus says, not only did I come the first time, but I'm coming again. And we're reminded that we should live our lives in such a way that we are ready every moment. You know, historically, for the last, like, 2,000 years, the church has regularly prayed a prayer, right? Maranatha. It's come, Lord Jesus. They've prayed over and over, expectantly longing for his return. And it's a way that we, when we pray that we remember that he's coming, right? And we remember we ought to be living our lives every single moment of every single day ready that if he comes back, we're like, I've been waiting for you. I've been ready for you. And so we're taking a few weeks, just three weeks, uh, to, try and, to try and help remind us uh, of the first coming of the King, right? And saying, man, how can we live our lives so that we're ready with our hearts open to receive and recognize His presence and His purposes for us in our lives today and live in such a way that we're ready for His return tomorrow, right? It's Advent. It's what, it's, what the church, it's what the church has always done. It's what we are, how we are meant to live. And so we're doing this series called The Coming of the King to do our best to try and prepare our hearts and make room and be ready. Today, I just want to zero in on this, this whole concept. Last week was just sort of the big picture of like the, Jesus is the king, right? And the king has come. And today I'm going to continue that a little bit. But I just want to talk about the coming of the humble king and what that means for us. So I'm just going to start out, I'm going to read a few passages In fact, I'm going to hit several today But I'm going to kind of walk you through some of the story uh, About Jesus coming, first of all And kind of some of the, 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 the shepherds and the wise men And some of that kind of stuff, just to set the scene And I'm going to look a little bit more at the early ministry of Jesus and, uh, and, and what that tells us about who he is And why he came, and then we'll look at what does that mean for us So we're going to start just with the Christmas story Matthew chapter 2 uh, And it says this we hit these first few verses last week, and we'll continue in verse 9. Matthew 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Remember, we talked about that last week. He was disturbed. He was, what is going on? I don't need another king. I'm good, right, kind of thing. Jump ahead to verse 9. It says this, when, when they, the Magi, uh, heard the king, they inter- interact with uh, Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was, when they saw the star They were overjoyed, it says. I love that. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened up their treasures, and they presented it with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country uh, by another route. So We'll start there. When they saw the star... They knew that the king had been born and they sought him out. They came, they followed the star, discontent to just worship from afar. They traveled for days, maybe weeks, maybe longer, maybe even months through the desert until they found him. And when they did, it says their response is they were overjoyed. And when they came to the house, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Isn't that great? They bowed down, and they worshiped him. Who do you bow down in front of? You bow down before a king. You bow down before God, right? You bow down, and, and you worship. It's a sign of submission. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying, you are my king. It's a sign of worship that they're doing in front of this. They bow down, and they worship. It says, you are my king, Jesus. You're greater than I. I am your loyal subject. You are my king. It's what you do before a king is that you bow. And then they offer them treasure, right? They offer them uh, gifts. And the first one is they offer him gold. And we've talked about this in years past, but gold is a gift that historically you would give to a king. It's a way of proclaiming this is who this child is. He is a king. And the next one says they gave frankincense, which is interesting. It's a kind of incense that was used to burn in the temple It signified the presence of the living God, right? And so they're saying, this is the king. He gives the next gift, the frankincense. It's sort of a symbol of saying almost like, hey man, this is a king, but he's a different kind of king, right? This is the God king. And the third thing is they give us myrrh, right? It's odd gift to give to a baby. It's used to embalm someone after they died. Isn't that weird? Like so, this this is is no ordinary king. This is no ordinary king. It's the God King, right? That came down to live and to die, and they bowed down and they worshipped him and they presented these gifts. And they leave changed. They leave and find another route home. I think it's interesting. This is just a freebie more than anything, but even in this this whole imagery. Uh, of these wise men or these magi uh, kind of people that, that we're talking about here. It's a picture of what real worship is, right? Bib- from a biblical perspective, like, like I said, just a freebie, but worship is, is lips given in praise. It's like expressing our praise and our gratitude to God. It's lives that are surrendered as we bow before and we say, We're going to live for you. You're our king. What do you want me to do? Right? Kind of thing. And it's an offering, it's, it's taking that which is most dear and precious to us and giving it back. Biblically speaking, it's a picture of worship. It's what real these these magi get it, and they offer themselves. They give praise to God, and they bring a gift to give the newborn king. It's a picture of worship: lips, lives surrendered in an offering. They worship the king. Let's keep going. They chose to pursue this king, and they journeyed from afar. Let them face to face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They bowed down before the living God. They submitted themselves to him and to his kingdom, and they left changed men. Probably like the shepherds, I would guess. They leave praising God, being filled up and overflowing with joy, having had the opportunity to see the king and experience the king face to face. Pretty cool. Now, a king, again, historically, somebody that has power, somebody that has authority, somebody that has an army, right? Somebody that has a kingdom, some of those kinds of things. And in that day, a king was somebody that provided for his people and protected them. Their armies would go out and defend the people of the land. A good king was seen as a judge and a lawmaker, somebody that brought justice and peace to the land. See that the people are treated fairly, and Jesus is all of these things and more. He came as the king. He's referred to, like we talked about last week, as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's above. He is even more powerful. He has more authority than all of the kings and the lords in our world. However, we start seeing that he was not just like any other king. Instead of being served, he came to serve others. Instead of elevating himself, he seemed to stoop down and wash feet. Instead of having armies that were there to protect him, he would willingly come and give his own life to save and rescue his people. What kind of king does that? What kind of God does that? All over God's book and throughout Jesus' life and ministry, throughout the, the other gospels, we start, we start reading that Jesus is the king. But from the prophets and the gospel writers and the wise men, even the magi, we start also recognizing, yeah, but he's not a king like, like the other kings. He is no ordinary king there was something different about him we move on and start start uh, moving into the early ministry of jesus jesus goes out to get baptized by john and right after he comes up out of the water what happens do you guys remember the heavens open right dove descends and then what happens there's a voice that calls from heaven. God speaks. And I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen. This is from Matthew 3, 16 through 17. It's fascinating. So it's, he actually quotes a couple different places in the Old Testament. It says this, uh, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And then a voice from heaven says this. It says, this is my son whom I love. It's interesting. It's a direct quotation from Psalm 2:7. It's known as an enthronement psalm. Every time there was a new king that was uh, anointed in Israel, they would read from Psalm 2 Psalm 2:7. It's a way of saying, this is the king, right? It's a proclamation. This is my son, God says. This is the king that has been promised, whom I love. Let's Go on. With him I am well pleased. It's a quote from Isaiah 42. It's a passage talking about the suffering servant, the, the one that was to come, the Messiah, so to speak. So even God the Father is saying, yes, this is the king that I am sending, but he is unlike any of your kings. He's unlike Caesar Augustus, who reigns with war and sword and force and pomp and circumstance. No, this is the humble king. This is the suffering servant king. This is the God king. His name is Jesus. He is unlike, he is better than, and superior. He's the king of kings, but he is very different from any other king you may know. Let me go back, and I want to read from that Isaiah 42 uh, passage a little more that he's referencing in that. Uh, Let me just read verses 1 through 8, because again, this is, it's again another prophecy passage pointing ahead to this, this king that was coming named Jesus, and it says this, Isaiah 42, 1 through 8. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. That's right? what a king does. We just talked about. Verse 2. Uh, he will not shout or cry out or raise a voice in the streets. I love verse 3, by the way. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Great phrase. He's just saying, man, for those of you that are broken... For those of you that feel like you're on the edge, I will not snuff out what, what's there. I will not break you in that kind of way. I will not put, uh, in fact, it's for you that I've come. Keep listening. Second half of verse 3 says, in faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the whole earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or give my praise to idols. Like, crazy cool passage, by the way. <laughs> crazy, there's great stuff in there. It might sound familiar. Jesus actually uh, quotes from Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 61 in his first public address. He opens up the scrolls to Isaiah, starts reading, and then says, today today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, these things are written about me. He's saying the king has come, but he has come to open the eyes of the blind. He hasn't come to break you or to snuff you out. He has come to open the eyes of the blind. He has come to set captives free, to release those who live and who are held in bondage in darkness. And to bring light to those who are far from God. This is the servant king, the humble king that has come. Don't miss him. I was just thinking this week about we start talking using words like the humble king and that kind of thing. I'm like, man, it's so easy for us to confuse, I think, meekness with weakness. It, it, meekness literally means power under control. It's a picture of a horse with a bright uh, with a, a bit in its mouth that you can pull back. You know, it's, it's a picture of power under control. He chooses to be submitted, but he could if he let it go. Like this, this beast is strong. It would just run and run and run. Right, power under control. It's meekness. Sometimes when we start looking at Jesus, I mean, even. Not to be weird, but even if you look at artwork of Jesus, so often when you see paintings of Jesus, they portray him as a weak-looking man, don't they? He kind of looks slightly effeminate, if I can say that, and just sort of like, he looks like a little wuss of a man, right, kind of thing, and, I, and I, get, I get what we're saying. But sometimes, and even this time of year, we talk about the little baby that was born, and certainly that's part of the story, right? It, it, we we, but we started getting this picture of Jesus and, and incorporating it with weakness, And I just want to say, let's be real careful about that. Jesus was meek. The Bible paints a picture, right? He he was meek. He was power under control, but that does not mean that he is weak. You kind of get, you kind of see what I'm saying there? If if you've ever thought that, let me just say, come back next week when we talk about the return of the conquering king, and we will see, uh, this is no sissy Jesus, right? This is, this is, when Jesus returns to you come back without without his weakness in that kind of stuff without without even his meekness in that kind of stuff he will come and in a snap of a finger he will bring the the human history to an end he will bring an end to those who to his enemies to those who stand against it he will bring a, a new heaven and a new earth to, to, to bear and he won't even break a sweat Right? I mean, that's that's what we're talking. He, we will see him. He, the, the pictures that we see start seeing in Revelation is him riding on a white horse, him coming with armies the next time. Right. Not that it'll take much, but it, his will will be done. He will come in power and strength and we will see him. Right. For who he is. He came the first time in meekness, even chose to come in some ways in weakness as a baby but he chose to do that and the question is why why would he choose to come with humility i mean we don't really value that kind of thing that's not really significant or important to us we value strength would you rather be strong or weak <laughs> would you rather be right would you rather be larger than life or humble i mean like we just don't we, we don't value that kind of thing why would he do that that's my question all oh, week so if he came the first time as the humble king, and he's coming back as the conquered king, the question is, why would he come that way? Why would he come in meekness? Why would he come in humility? And the answer to that question, and this is, this is where we're going to go here in a second, but the answer to that question is because we needed him to. <laughs> right? that, that's the reality. We needed him to come as Savior. We needed to, him to come as the suffering servant. We needed him to come in meekness and humility for our benefit, for your benefit, and for mine. He came as the humble king the first time because more than anything, we needed him to. If he would have come in power, if he would have come to rule and to reign and to put an end to the enemies of God, would that have been a good news day for us or a bad news day for us? Okay, you can talk in church. What do you think? That would have been horrible news for us, right? Isaiah 53. Let me listen. Let me just kind of do do these couple of verses from there. This too is a prophecy about the suffering servant, about what this King Jesus would look like. Let me just uh, verses four through six and ten through eleven. I'm just going to give you a snapshot here. It's talking about Jesus. Just a, a heads up. Right. Surely he, Jesus, he took our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we were healed. Look at verse six. Where do we stand uh, before Jesus came the first time? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the punishment that we deserve, the, the iniquity of us all. Jump ahead to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin, we will see he will see his offspring and prolong his days. We're his offspring, by the way. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. What does that mean, by the way? He'll see the light of life? He'll what? He'll live again, right? He'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Justify makes us just as if we never sinned. He will justify many and will bear their iniquities. You kind of see the picture here? Jesus came the first time as the humble king to save us, right? Because we had all gone astray. We had all walked away from God. We'd gone our own way. We'd wandered into sin and darkness, into pits, into addictions, ruts of sin. This is every man's story. It's every woman's story. We were once far from God. We'd gone astray. We were guilty of sin if Jesus had not have come as the humble king. If he wouldn't have come to save us, but would have come with judgment and righteousness and power, if the battle lines would have been drawn up, we would have stood on an opposing side of God. We would have stood opposed to the conquering king, and we would have died. We would have been headed for hell. It would have been a very bad news kind of day. Right? We all, like sheep, had gone astray. We'd all turned away. But instead, the suffering servant, the humble king came, and he took what we deserved. And as a result, there's good news. And this is the good news that we find in Christmas, Luke 2, 2, 10 through 11. The angels put it this way. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the king. The good news that we celebrate this time of year is that a Savior has come for us, for you and for me. He came in humility and with meekness. He came to stoop down and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us so that we could be forgiven, so that the blind could see, so to speak, so that the, those enslaved by sin could be released and freed, so that we could come back home to God. Because of this humble king, we have the opportunity to be forgiven and free. Eternal life is offered to us. We are filled and led and empowered by his spirit. We're restored into the very family, into the very presence of God, the one who loved us enough to die for us. His kindness and gentleness and meekness leads us back to him in repentance. And that is the good news of great joy that we celebrate. But even you can hear it in the writers, but don't miss it, right? Today is meant to be a day of good news for you and for me if we don't miss him. He came as the humble king and got what we deserved so that we could be with him forever. He came in meekness so that we could know his power, that power that conquers the grave. He came and took our sins so that we could be free from it. He left heaven so that we could end up there. It's a good new season because a savior has come, because a humble king has come for us. And the writers of scripture just keep encouraging us and encouraging us, don't miss him. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here. I got one more scripture and I just want to wrap it up and kind of bring all this together if I can. But 2 Corinthians uh, 6.2 uh just puts it this way. And, and I'm just going to kind of end with this, but it's, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today, the old NIV used to say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the time of God's favor. Today is the day a Savior has come for you. Today, the Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but open it wide up. Receive him and his grace and his presence. Today, he is calling you home. Today is the day we should receive the King. We should open up our hearts and our lives. Today is the day we should let him guide us and lead us to be our King, to be our Savior. Today is the day. We don't want to miss him. I spent a lot of time over the last about 10 days uh, doing some editing and doing some videoing of our baptism videos for next week. Always awesome to hear people's stories. Always awesome to hear God at work in people's lives and to 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 talk transformational sort of uh, stories. And and here's the here's my conviction, right? Uh, as, as I keep watching and listening and uh, and, and hearing these stories we've had, this will be uh, our 19th baptism within a one-year period of time well, that we're going to have next week. It's super cool. God God's just doing cool stuff in people's lives. But but what I love about it is It never ceases to amaze me that as we respond to Christ and what he's done, right, as as we respond to the humble king and, and we say, Jesus, I need you to save me, right? I need you to rest. We're not talking about just intellectually, oh, I believe in Jesus, right? I believe he lived and died and rose again. I believe. That's... That's the first step, but that's not salvation on its own, is it, right? That's the first step. But there's an active part where we need to respond and embrace what Christ has done for us, that he came, he lived, he died for our sins, and he rose again. And therefore, he came to be our king, right? And when, we, when we say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my king. I need you to be my savior. I'm trusting in you and what you've done. As we embrace and sort of grab hold of Jesus like that and just hold on for dear life like I need you, he transforms our lives. It's, it's when that happens that blind people can see, and dead people come to life. It's, it's in those moments when we are assured of a happily ever after, right, that we get to spend forever with him. It's in those moments that we experience his power and his presence, and it's where the good stuff happens, where all of a sudden, it's the and then part of our story, like, yes, we, were, we had all gone astray, we were all heading this wrong direction, and then Jesus busted in, and then, right, and then... The good stuff starts happening in our lives, and then he brought us to life, right? And then there was hope, and then light broke into the darkness, and then, right, resurrection started happening in my soul, and in my life, in my marriage, and my on and on and on, and then there is good news of great joy. But don't miss it. Don't, don't just go through the season just saying, oh, yeah, I believe that. A baby was born in the name of Jesus. Right? I mean, like, don't, don't miss him. It's the whole, like, let earth receive her king sort of part of it. It's the whole of saying, Jesus, I need you. And I worship. I believe that you came, but I believe you came to be my king. And we bow before him. We say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and save me? We say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I would, would you lead me and guide me and be my king and my God? And with your help and your power, I want to learn to follow you. That's where the good stuff starts happening. The, hum- the humble king has come, but we don't want to miss and Make sure that you are ready to embrace the king, to surrender to the king, to put your faith and hope In the King. Let's do a little application. We'll be done for the day. I mean, I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know how He's prompting you today. Some of us might be here, and for all practical purposes, we're missing Jesus this season. Maybe we're missing Jesus, period and we're running around like crazy people. We're busy and we're doing and doing and doing and we're, we're running faster and faster and faster and faster. We have no idea where we're going, but we are running very fast, right? I mean, like we're just going all the time and we're busy and you know, on our phone, we're whatever. But if we were to stop the train for a second, we'd be like, you know what? I'm empty. I am longing for something. I have missed the most significant event in, in human history, the most significant Event, in time, outside of whatever. God, the Savior, the humble King, came down to earth for me. Don't miss him. Before you get through this holiday season, and these next couple of days, would you hit the pause button on your life? Would you get down on your knees and would you just say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and save me? Would you come and rest? Would you come and open my eyes to see you and know you? I love the... Uh, the the Magi that we talked about earlier that, that went on a full-on quest. They're like, no, I, we don't know, but we think this king has been born, and we mu- we are not going to rest until we come face-to-face with him. I love it. We call them wise men, right? They're called Magi in the Bible. We call them wise men. Maybe maybe they get that 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 name, that nickname, because they were wise, they were, wise enough. They were the only people that came. Right? They were the only ones that recognized the sign that the king had come and they pursued and they would not stop until they were kneeling and bowed down before him. They were the ones that came to worship that day. They were the ones that came and went all in with God. Man, some of us need to take a lesson from them this morning and just bow our knees and say, man, it's, it's time. I've tried life on my own. I've been... All like sheep have gone astray. We've been following the herd, all right? We've been heading in that direction, and it is time in your life for an and-then sort of moment to say, oh, God, I want to bow before you. Would you come and have your way in my life? I need you. I will not settle for anything else. Would you come and be my king? Would you come and lead and guide and be my God? I want you. Some of us, in all honesty, probably live our lives as practical atheists. We might believe, right here, we, oh, we believe that the King has come. Sure, Jesus you was know, born and died, rose again. I mean, we went to school, maybe some of us went to Catholic school, some of us have went to Sunday school, some of us have heard this kind of thing in culture. Oh yeah, we believe that. But we live our lives day to day as though he doesn't exist. We live our lives every, if, if we're honest, and I ask you, do you actually have a relationship with God? Our, our honest answer would have to be no. I believe here, but it hasn't dropped to the level of my heart and my life. And maybe today it's time, again, just to to back up, hit the pause button and hit your knees and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for just going my own way? Would you bust into my story and my life? Would you be my king? Thank you for coming. Thank you for living and dying. But so that I can come back to life, would you forgive me for just passively scooting through life? And would you help me just to recognize that today is the day of salvation? Don't wait. Today is the day for God's favor. He has flung open the the gates of heaven and invites you in. He says, do it today. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on why he came or what he came to do. stuff in store for you today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't miss him. Instead, bow and receive the king. For some of us, there might be something specific, a specific sin or a specific area of our lives or whatever, that if we're honest, it's standing in between us and a relationship with Christ. We've been holding on to it for far too long. (laughs) I mean, it could be all kinds of things, right? For some of us, it might be a, a pet sin that we're like, uh-uh, God, you, uh, you can't mess with that. That's mine, right? You, uh-uh. It might be our money. It could be success. It, like, it could be uh, like the King Herod syndrome. We just don't want another king. We like the power and the control. We want to do life our way, right? We want to do that kind of, could be a relationship that we know God's not in favor of. But we're like, uh-uh. It could be all kinds of things, pet addiction or sin. And I wonder if today God's not just speaking to you and saying, man, don't let Anything stand in the way. Would you would you take whatever that is, and instead of holding on to it, instead of doing the Heisman to God, would you take it and would you bow before the King and would you give it back as an offering to him? Say, God, you are the treasure, you are the king, I want you. Again, the Bible saying, today is the day. Tomorrow we don't know about. Tomorrow, we don't know about, do we? Tomorrow could be the return of the king. Tomorrow could be our numbers up. Tomorrow could be who knows what. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, right? We don't know if we'll have the opportunity to repent and turn back to God tomorrow. I don't know if we'll have the opportunity to seek God tomorrow. Today is the day. God says, would you lay it down? Would you come? Would you bow your knee and step into the life that God has for? There's good news of great joy. The gospel writers tell us the good news of great joy that is for all people today that is offered to you and to me today because a Savior has come. The humble King has come. He has come to open the doors to his kingdom, to bring salvation to all people if you and I would just receive the gift. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our, our cry this morning. Help us not to miss out on Jesus this year. I pray that we would not settle for just um, for just intellectual information about a Savior coming. I pray that we would not settle for, uh, for just coasting through life, coasting through Christmas, for just being our own king or our own whatever. Forgive us, God, instead. I pray that you would open our eyes to the coming of the King for us. Lord, I pray that we would bow our knee before you, that we would receive the life and the the gift of salvation that you offered to us because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I pray that you'd bring us to life, that this could be the and then sort of part of the story, that you would bring salvation and new life, forgiveness come busting into our hearts and lives as we uh, cling to you, Jesus, as we bow before you and say, come and be my king, come and be my God, come and be my savior, God, I need you. If you're comfortable, why don't you just open up your hands and just hold them out before you, sort of as a sign of surrender, just saying, God, I need you. Lord Jesus, we pray. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come into our hearts today. Come into our lives today. We need you.